Hey, moms, we love you. Thank you so much for the role that you play, not just in your own family, but in this church. How many of you know, you know, in Genesis, the Bible says God made man in his own image. He made them male and female. There is some attributes of the nature of God that we just wouldn't have without women of God. And so thank God for the women in our lives. Amen, fellas, right? Amen. I'm trying to help you guys. Y'all should be saying amen to the preacher right now. Trying to give you guys some freebies here, man. All right. Yes, we love the women. Amen. Hey, I want to get right into the word of God with you. And and let me just start here uh, with this thought of of womanhood, because when I think about women of God, there's a woman in the Old Testament that usually comes to my mind first, and it fits so well with where we're at in this series as a church. Many of you know we started a new series uh, a few weeks ago. We're kind of midstream. Well, we're actually part five of six weeks, so we're almost there. But we're talking about this house and the culture and the values that you experience in this house. And when I say this house, I'm talking about this local church, Wrightsville Assembly of God. <clears throat> Whether you're here as a guest or if this is your home church, let me encourage you to stay engaged with me because these values are not just about this church. I believe these are values that every Christian ought to hold near and dear to their heart. And it's so fitting that on Mother's Day, We're talking about the value of creating a culture of honor. In this house, we have a culture of honor. And how many of you could attest to the fact that honor is learned in the home? It should be. Long before God ever instituted the, the, the covenant of the church, he instituted a family. That's why when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he didn't list You know, honor the military and honor your school teachers and honor the government. He just said, honor your father and mother. Because it was a principle that if we can get it right at home, then we can work the rest out. How many of you guys know? I know we just came through Teacher Appreciation Week, so maybe the teachers can get on board on this point. Any teachers that know that it's not your responsibility to teach kids how to show honor, right? Yeah. It's like, y'all figure that out before you send them to me, right? It's not the, the youth pastor's job to teach them how to honor. We're, we're supplementing your responsibility. And supplements are good. Just don't try to live on them. I mean, you know what I'm saying. You need, a good, you need a good steady diet. And so honor is learned in the home. And when I think about Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, I see a godly woman. I just wanted to start there for a few moments. 1 Samuel chapter number 1 Verse 10 and 11 give us a snapshot of this woman of faith, and I just want to speak for a moment, and not the whole service, but for a moment towards motherhood. Verse 10 says this, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Hannah, if you know the story, was desperate to have kids. She couldn't have children as much as she tried. But she did understand something. She understood that children are a gift from God. And so she didn't just sorrow about it. She didn't just experience bitterness of tears and deep anguish. The Bible says she prayed. She prayed because she knew that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And and out of her weeping and intercession, 
came Samuel. Many of you know the story. He's the namesake of this book. Samuel became the prophet of the nation of Israel. Samuel became the catalyst for turning the hearts of a nation back to the heart of God. And what I just want to say, just expounding on this thought is this. Moms, you have no idea the consequence of your intercession. Who would have imagined that one woman's tears would have produced such a harvest of righteousness. Can I tell you, because we often pray for the supernatural, we pray for miracles, we pray for God to do um, the impossible, but I wonder how many times we take that good intention or that heartfelt desire and we let it be followed through with tears of intercession. I'm talking about weeping before the Lord as Hannah did. Can I tell you, church, the supernatural harvest only comes in fields that have been sown with tears. We have to sow in tears to reap the harvest of the supernatural. God wants to do it, but he's looking for somebody who would pray. And, and here's the thing that I love about Hannah's prayer. Most of us, when we pray, we have a list of things we want God to do for us. But when Hannah prayed, she actually made a covenant of what she would do for God. And I love her heart in this. Hannah says in verse 11, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. That's an extreme vow. She basically said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I just want the honor of being able to have a son. I just want the, the privilege of being able to bring him into the world. But he's yours. I'm going to give him back to you. And ha uh, Hannah honored the Lord with her faith, and God honored her faith with a son. Even, even his name, Samuel, it actually means the Lord heard. Isn't that awesome? So every, every time that she said Samuel, she was reminded, God hears me. And, and if you're a mom, you know she said it a lot. Sa Samuel, Samuel, get back here. Samuel, put that down. Samuel, don't eat that. Samuel, eat your food. Samuel, stop that. Stop. So every time, God hears me. God hears me. And can I just say this? Because maybe you've wept bitterly. Maybe you've experienced the anguish that she felt. And maybe God hasn't answered you the way he answered her. But let me just say to every person, woman, child, man, God hears you when you pray. God hears you when you pray. And you never know the harvest that will be reaped by the tears of your intercession. God wants to do a great work through your life. It may not be the work that you intended or the one you prayed for, but God hears us when we pray. I wonder what your Samuel is. Maybe your Samuel is a son. Maybe your Samuel is a daughter, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that the Spirit of the Lord wants to prompt and impress upon you, that when you see that thing, you recognize God has heard me. See, some of us need to double back to an attitude of thanksgiving and recognize the Lord heard me. Here's what I love about the story of Hannah. She, 
fulfilled her vow. She had a son and she brought him back to the Lord. She presented him to Eli, the priest, and she said, he's the Lord's servant for all the days of his life. I committed him to the Lord. And so she brought her son to the house of God to be raised in the things of God. But how many of you know, just because you bring your kids to church, that doesn't exempt them from worldly temptations and problems. Amen. It's the same for Samuel. He gets dropped off at the house of the Lord. He's going to be raised in the house of God. Eli is now raising him as his own son. But as you read through the story in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, you find that Eli has two sons of his own. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And they also were raised in the house of God. How many of you know righteousness doesn't come by osmosis? Like you don't become holy just because you sit in church. Don't look at him when you say amen. That just makes it weird. Don't, don't do that, man. It's going to be a weird ride home. You're like, amen. <laughs> Our kids don't become the, the people they were called to be just because they sit in church. And we know that from this story because the Bible speaks about Hophni and Phinehas and in 1 Samuel chapter 2, now I would love to have my name written in the book of life, and, and I would love to have my name written in the word of God, but if I had my name in the Bible, I can promise you I wouldn't want it to be on this verse, because it says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2, Eli's sons were scoundrels. <laughs> they had no regard for the Lord. They were scoundrels, and yet Eli... In the same house raised Samuel, who loved the Lord, who revered his presence, who honored God, who not only was a prophet to the nation, but he became the one who would anoint David to be king. He's the one who was so inclined to the voice of God. He learned as a child when God called him in chapter 3 that later, when it was obvious what God was doing through the lineage of Saul, it was Samuel who was able to perceive the will of God to go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons, and not the first son, and not the second son, and not the third son, but he was so perceptive that he waited until they brought David, the eighth son, to come into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, on David, the one who was the progenitor of Christ. And Samuel cultivated an ear and a heart for God. Let, hear this, moms. Samuel was who he was because Hannah was who she was. And God gives us in chapter two of 1 Samuel what I call the honor principle. What had happened is Eli, and maybe you, you know some parents like this. Again, don't look at them, don't look at them, but you know some parents that they care more about their kids' approval than they do God's. Eli was that kind of father. It mattered more to him that his boys were happy with him than that God was happy with him. And he compromised his convictions. And so God sent a prophet to Eli. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 30, the prophet says to Eli the priest, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares this to you, Eli. I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. And then he gives him the honor principle. Here it is. Those who honor me 
I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Can I tell you again, church, honor is learned at home. But it ought to thrive in the house of God. That's why in this house, we have a culture of honor. How many of you believe honor should thrive when you're in church? I mean, I know we mess up sometimes. No perfect parents, no perfect grandparents. We, we mess up sometimes, but how many of you think we ought to thrive in the culture of honor from 1130 to 1230 on Sunday morning? Like, could we get it right for an hour? Amen? Just look at somebody and say, just get it together for an hour. Like, you know, just come on, man. Help us out here. So I know some people, they, they would look at that and they would call it hypocrisy. I can't, be, I can't believe you. Look at you acting spiritual. Are you kidding me? I'm my absolute best when I'm with you people. This is the best. Just enjoy it. This is the best version of me you're going to get all week. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm being lifted right now. The church is helping me in the way of holiness and sanctification. I mean, come on. we got to create a culture of honor when we're together. And here's one of the ways we say it in this church. We honor those who have laid the path ahead of us, and we bless those who labor among us, and we embrace the new generation before us. See, honor, we have to honor our elders. We have to honor the generation who laid the path before us, those people that have, that, that have plowed the fallowed ground in the heat of the day that allowed us to stand on their shoulders and, and do what we're doing for God's kingdom. We honor that, but it's not just something that we, that we give as, a, as an accolade to bygone days. It's something that we also show one another. We esteem others better than ourselves, the word says. Last week we talked about how we're better together, but the King James of that version says can uh, esteem others better than ourselves. So we are better together, but we look at each other better than ourselves. And, and honor also goes to the next generation. It goes to those who are coming after us. Can I tell you, church, the kids are not just the church of the future. They have an active role in the church of today. We honor what God's doing in our young people. Amen? They have, a, they have room. We're not going to just hold on to this thing with a bulldog grip until they have to pry it out of our dying fingers and try to revive the church for another generation. No, no, no. We're going to give it to them while it's hot, while we're running full speed. We're going we're gonna to pass the baton so we can accelerate into the next generation. That's who God's called us to be. That's what honor looks like. And God has called us to cultivate an atmosphere of honor. There's three ways that that we honor God. And because we learn it at home, but it thrives in the house of God, let me just say this, church, that honor towards God is our priority. Honoring God is our priority. Now, I've got three points I want to give you today, but I have no confidence I'm going to get through them based on what happened in the last service. But if you're a note taker, I will tell you what they are. Three things, three ways that we honor God. And, and again, church, I want you to know the, the, the thought behind all of this is who we are and why we do what we do. And I want you to know, in this house, number one, we honor God's presence with our praise. I've had people ask me before, why, why do you guys sing so much? Why do you get so excited about the worship? Why do you guys lift your hands like that? Why, why, does, why do people come to the altar? Why do people kneel down? 
what's that all about? I came to a prayer group one night on a Wednesday, and man, you guys were, you were all over the place. You were praying for each other. Why do you guys act that way in response to God? We honor God's presence with our praise. And I was thinking this week through some of the stories in the Word of God of what it looked like to recognize and honor God's presence with our praise. And the first one that came to my mind is out of 2 Samuel. The Philistines had come and and taken the Ark of the Covenant out of Israel. Now the Ark was the place that God said, this is the physical representation of my presence with my people. When you you see that Ark, God is there. You know, when they came out of Egypt, it was a pillar of fire in the night, and it was a pillar of cloud by day. But God gave Moses instructions on how to build this box. And everywhere they went in the wilderness, they carried that box with them. And it had a special room that they kept it in. And nobody could go in that room except a priest. And only after he had consecrated himself and purified himself, and only a few times he could go in there. Because that was the place where the presence of God was. Well, the Philistines, they didn't know anything about what was in that box, but they knew that those were blessed people, and they said, we want whatever you got, so they stole it. They took the Ark of the Covenant, and David went to get it back, and he gets the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it back, and they're coming back, and it's on an ox cart, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the ox cart hits a bump in the road, and And the ark starts to fall off, and a man named Uzzah, he goes up and he just grabs it and he holds it back up. But as soon as he touches it, the Bible says God struck him dead right there in the street. I know that's a little confusing. You read that and go, man, that's harsh. why, Why would God do that? Why would God strike a man dead in the street? Because God had given specific instructions on how to handle his presence. Jesus said in John chapter 4, God is seeking worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And what they were doing is they were very spirited, but they were not worshiping according to the truth. God said, I'm a holy God. You don't touch the ark. He gave instructions. They were supposed to put poles through the rings on the outside of the ark. They were supposed to carry the poles, and only a select group of people were to do it. This guy had no place touching the presence of God. And so God arrested them back to a place of spirit and truth, because that's the only kind of worship that honors God. So for people that go, oh, I love the Lord, I, I, I just feel close to God on the golf course. I, I, just, I just worship God better, you know, in, out on the stream. Well, I worship good on a stream too. I was kayaking this week. I was worshiping God. I was having a great time. But that doesn't give me the opportunity to forfeit what God has said about his church. I got to worship in spirit and truth. And so... They said, this thing's dangerous. And so they left the box in a town close to home. And they were like, we're just going to, you know, we can see it. It's over there. And some people like to do that with God. Like, God is good. He's over there. I go to church if I have a crisis. But then the people that live there began to be blessed. The favor of God was on their life. And David starts to realize back in his palace that, you know what? Having God's presence is worth the risk. Have you found that to be true? Having God's favor in my life is worth the risk. It's worth the fallout. It's worth the persecution. It's worth having people look at me or ostracize me. I need God's presence. And so he goes back to Obed-Edom. He gets the ark, and he brings it back, but this time he does it right. He gets the Levites. He gets the priesthood. They get the, the poles. They carry the ark, and they bring it back in. And David now has the presence of God. And you got, you got to see 
what happened when David got the presence of God in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I love that. Now, I don't know what it looks like to dance with all your might. That sounds a little violent to me. You know, anybody ever seen somebody? I, I don't know. I picture like a mosh pit dancing with. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for all your might. I know Pastor Chris has seen some all your might dancing at youth camps, you know, some sweaty teenagers, just sweat going everywhere. It smells like teen spirit. Some of y'all don't know why you're laughing. You've been saved a long time, so don't worry about it. But David danced with all of his might before the Lord, worshiping God. And then look at the next verse. Skip down with me, actually, to verse 20. After he had worshiped God and fed all the people and blessed them, it says in verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said... How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Going around half naked in view of all the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. Now, Michael is his wife. And his wife is giving him a hard time because she said, "You, you, you dishonored yourself. You're the king. There's There's protocol. There's decorum, and here you are throwing off your linen ephod. You're throwing off your, your kingly garments, and you're just worshiping God. And Well, you, you look crazy. You look crazy to all those people out there. They're not going to honor you. They're not going to respect you. But look at what he said in response. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me as ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Don't you love that? I love that commitment. I will celebrate before the Lord. David's saying, look, I'm not worried about my reputation. I threw off those garments because I didn't want the honor. I didn't want the praise. I didn't want the attention. God alone deserves it. And I just wish sometimes that the people of God would get that kind of a passion for his presence, that you would get over yourself and anyone else's opinion of you and just get a little bit crazy and praise God with all of your might one time. Amen. I, I, I know how it goes, though. You get, you get in service and the worship team is playing your song. I mean, it's, it's your song. This is my testimony. You're like, I, you feel it. You feel it. In about time, you get ready to explode out of your seat. You look over and you see somebody over there going. They got the spirit of Michael all over them. And you're just like, oh, oh, I, I don't, I don't, I was going like, hey. but I guess we go like this here. So I'll just go half mast for a while. Like, and you, you know, you want to give God a crazy praise. You know, you want to just thank God for all that he's done. You want to throw off your reputation. 
You want to throw off your ego. You want to throw off your honor. It's not about being indecent or immodest. It's about saying, not to me, but unto you be the glory and the honor forever and forever. And then you know what we do? We start looking around at all the Michaels peeking out the window. And you, you look like a seventh grader at his first school dance. You stand over in the corner behind the punch bowl, and you're just like, you know you want to be out there, but you're like, mm, yeah, let's just do this every once in a while. <laughs> can, can I just tell you today, God is worthy of your worship, and we honor his presence with our praise. We honor God's presence. When we get outside of ourselves, I didn't come here to bless you. I came here to bless the Lord. I came here to give God praise. And I love David's response because he doesn't just say, I will bless the Lord. He goes a step farther in verse 22. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. You know, David's saying there's nothing dishonorable about a man who honors God. I will never lose honor by honoring God above myself. And David says, you, you just think I went wild. You just think, you wait till the presence of God gets all the way back in. I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody just, just give God a crazy praise. But David was saying, I'm going to give God a crazy praise. And I thank God that, that there's an opportunity for us to have his presence in our midst. Over and again, there's the stories in the word of God. When Jesus was first brought into the temple. Eight days after his birth, the Bible says there was an old man, Simeon, who had received a promise from God that he would see the Messiah before he died. So Simeon's just waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's just waiting for, for God to, 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 to fulfill this promise. He's literally waiting to die. He's an old man now. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, in verse 17, on that day, he was moved by the Spirit, and he went into the temple courts. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God. In other words, when he, when he recognized this is the presence of God, he honored him with praise over and over again so many stories we, we sang about one of them earlier in Revelation chapter 5 John the revelator gets a, a glimpse of what it's, like, what it's like in heaven and he sees the 24 elders and he sees the four living creatures and, and they're all around the throne of God and all the multitudes of those who have died in the faith they're all there around the throne and they're asking the question is anyone worthy who can open the, the seven seals and unfurl the scrolls? Is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone who can do that? And, and all of a sudden, John sees the Lamb of God who had been slain, but he's standing in strength at the center of the throne of God. They say, look, it's the Lamb of God. 
He is worthy. He is worthy to open the scrolls. The, the psalmist said it like this. All the days of your life were recorded in his book before one was lived out. Jesus is the only one that knows your life beginning to the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And they begin to worship in heaven in Revelation 5 and say, He's the Lamb who can open the scrolls. He knows the story. He can tell us what's to come. And all of a sudden, all of the angels, 10,000 times 10,000, join in with the worship. And the Bible says all the multitudes of every tribe and every tongue, what did they do? They all began to sing and to worship the Lord. Why? Because when His presence is in the room, our praise honors Him. And God wants us to be a church that recognizes the potential of our gathering. Because the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I don't know what you would really do if Jesus physically walked in the room this morning. But I can imagine there would be a lot of rug burns on people's foreheads when they went to lunch today. If Jesus came and stood in this place, you'd fall prostrate on your face. The most extroverted, talkative person in the room would be silent. We'd be like Hannah, just weeping, trembling tongues and stammering lips. We would be in awe of the presence of God. And yet, church, he's here. He's in the house. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy, Holy Spirit. God is in this place. And so I love how Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in light of all God's done, he says, in view, in view of God's mercy, the cross, salvation, redemption, <coughs> reconciliation, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and acceptable. For this, he says, is your reasonable act of worship. He says, in view of what God has done, it's reasonable that you give your whole life to God as an offering of worship. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. Yes, that was only point one, but I warned you. Let me tell you two other ways because I'm, I'm not coming back to this. I'm excited to have Dr. Kim here next week preaching from Valley Forge University and we honor God's presence with our praise. But I'm talking about this house, so I want you to know this. Secondly, we honor God's authority with our preaching. I've had people ask me before, why, why, why do you preach the way you do? Can I just be honest with you? When we went from one service every Sunday to two services, and then God multiplied the church, and we went to three services, can I tell you the hardest part about all of it was, for me, less time to preach the word. That's the hardest part. You go back to our podcast. You can listen to our sermons from two years ago. I preached 55 minutes every Sunday. You guys are getting the light version right now. I can promise you. 25 minutes is a hard stop for me. I had people ask me, why do you give us 67 scriptures? I mean, you know, I can't keep up, man. I got cramps in my thumbs. I, I can't write that many scriptures down. Why do you give us so many? I'll tell you why. Because the authority in this house is God's word. It's God's word. 
Can I, can I just state the obvious? Nobody got up and got dressed and drove all the way to church this morning to hear my opinion about what's trending on Twitter. Like, right? Can I remind you that this platform is not built to elevate the opinions of men. This platform is built to exalt the authority of the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never, ever pass away. And so we honor God's authority in our preaching. If the day ever comes, I pass this mic to you. You better pivot to the word of God. Give us your story. Give us your testimony. But get us to the word of God pretty quick. Because it is the gospel, Romans 1.16 says, that is the power of God unto salvation. I can't save anyone. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so we honor God's presence with our praise and we honor God's authority with our preaching. And the last thing is this, and you can just pray about it and write your own sermon. We honor God's power with our prayers. Can I just say, church, Small prayers don't honor a big God. Safe, small prayers don't honor a big God. He is the God who Paul said in Ephesians 3 is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could think or ask or imagine. And not only is he able, he wants to do it. He wants to do it. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think the Father in heaven wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on you? He wants to give you everything you need, not just that your needs are met, but exceedingly and abundantly above that. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, it's life to the overflow, abundant life. So we don't honor God when we come to a big God with small faith and small prayers. And I would say this, we don't honor a gracious God when we come with a spirit of timidity. When you come to God, you don't, you don't have to come timid and apprehensive and you don't have to tiptoe into his presence. I, I, I'm my girl, I want my daughters to honor me. I'm their father. I want them to honor me, but I don't want them to be afraid of me. Come on. I don't want them to be afraid to come into my presence. I want them to have confidence to know that's my dad. He loves me. Yeah, his rules are tough sometimes, but he's for me. He's for my good. He has my best interest in mind. He loves me. I'm always welcome in his presence. That's the heart of our God. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you have fear in your heart in approaching God today, that's the devil. Rebuke that in Jesus' name. No fear right now. Listen, nobody should have fear about coming near to God. Because he said, the spirit that God gives us is not a spirit of timidity. It's a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the spirit that draws us to God to believe for the impossible. And so in this house, we honor God's power with our prayers. We pray big audacious, bold,
prayers. We ask for the impossible because we serve a God of impossible. And I want to just close this service in a moment of prayer. I ask the worship team to come and they're going to just sing a song of praise to the Lord. But before they do that, I just want to extend an invitation today. Maybe you're here and you're listening to this or you're watching online and you're not honoring Jesus by giving him the throne of your life. Now, he's on the throne in heaven and you can't unseat him. But he wants to be the Lord of your life. And the old adage is true. If if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he won't be Lord at all. He will not play second. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I haven't allowed Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Maybe something, maybe it's your job, your career, your hobbies, your interests, your passions. Maybe it's a relationship, but something else is the priority of your life. But yet throughout this whole message, I'm talking about God and how he's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your adoration. And you sense the spirit of the Lord just calling you, give me your life. He's telling you today, give me your life. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to ask you to bow your head with me all over this room. Everyone, heads bowed, hearts open. I want to ask you to be honest in this moment with God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to place Jesus on the throne of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand. Raise your hand right now so I know who I'm praying for. Praise God. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. You can put it back down. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for just responding to the Holy Spirit. That is a huge step of faith. You're learning right now to listen and obey the Lord. That's what it feels like to listen and obey the Lord. For all those that just raised their hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Church, pray it with us. Would you just come rally around them? Let's pray this out loud together. Everyone say, dear God, I believe you sent Jesus, your son, to die for my sin. And three days later, He rose from the dead. He conquered my sin. He paid for my salvation. So today, I put my faith in Jesus. I give you my life. The old me is gone. I'm a new creation. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live a life that honors God in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Can we give God praise for this moment right now in his presence? Amen. Amen.